This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This is the Stick Blade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. It is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and just general news around the NHL. Now, before we actually get started with tonight's show, let's just say something really quick. Hockey is a weird game. Um, the Stanley Cup playing rounds are officially underway, so that's going to be pretty much the bulk of the episode tonight. Um, obviously, we're going to be covering the Hawks and the Oilers series in depth because this is a Blackhawks podcast at the end of the day. So, hey, Red Wings. I mean, I would say this is a Red Wings podcast, but I mean, the Red Wings were kind of out of the playoffs. I don't know, like what, like six months ago or something like that. <laughs> but so that's really the main thing that we're going to be talking tonight. Just this whole playing around and the way it's sort of shaken out and just general impressions of it, because this has been such a weird thing, and pretty much everybody made wrong predictions, I think, on this podcast. So I kind of want to just dive into it. So with that being said, I'm your host tonight, Jordan Linscott, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stompanato. How are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> We're doing great tonight, Jordan. I'm buzzing. This is, I'm hyped, I'm excited, I almost had a heart attack during the game, but now I'm, I'm running high. Let's go. So. Let's go ahead and just jump right into this. First thing first, I mean, Nick, you weren't here for the playoff predictions, but oh my gosh, I think all of us are pretty much wrong at this point about at least two of the matchups. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I have not gotten a prediction wrong. I guess that's the way I look at it right now. Uh, with, with missing last week, but uh, you know, uh, that's the least of my concerns right now. Um, I did a bad job. I, I did a bad job predicting i'm apparently not clairvoyant uh i hope to our fans out there you didn't use me when you were betting the puck line uh i i have made mistakes but the one that mattered putting the hawks up i did in fact win so that's all that matters to me at this point yeah we're burying the lead right now so uh, let's go ahead and just start with the uh, oilers and blackhawks part of this podcast so All of us going in, we knew this was a toss-up one, right? It's basically, were they going to be able to shut down McDavid and Saddle? And McDavid had the one game where he was a beast. And then the rest of the series, I just, he didn't really do much. And then Saddle, I thought was okay. But again, they didn't, they didn't run the game like I thought they were going to. Yeah, it's like we said last week, both teams have stellar offenses. It's going to come down to whose goalies can stop those offenses or slow them down. And Chicago's goalie, Crawford, stepped up to the plate. Well, and here's the thing. Our, both teams have good offenses, but something I especially noticed during this round, if you shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl, no one else steps up to the plate. Like, yeah, a couple. Like there was a couple goals here and there from other people, but those were either off of assists from McDavid or Dreisaitl or something on the power play. I think James Neal uh, got one on the power play. But 
effectively shutting down McDavid and Dreisaitl neutralized the team. I mean, that's the knock when you've got, you know, two of the best players in the world. But if that's all you've got, people can just load up on them. Yeah, and that goes back to a point where I made a couple months ago now, I mean, before the season got postponed, was uh, when Ken Holland took over the Oilers, he said I, he has the two of the best players in the world, and he has to just go fill out, and they're going to go play about half the game. He has to go fill out a roster that could play the other half of the game and shut them down, and uh, that that was exposed. I mean, yeah, McDavid and Dreisaitl had some had, – game one was McDavid's so-called worst game, and he still had four points. You're right. But, I mean, like, the Blackhawks beat that strategy. Like, they they let McDavid and Dreisaitl do their work, but they took advantage of who else they went against. I mean, I know Nugent Hopkins had a pretty good series. They get eight points in the uh, four games. But, you know, they the Oilers' strategy was exposed. Ken Holland, uh, I mean, I know he's done some great things with the Red Wings, but his strategy kind of went down to the wayside. And, you know, here we are. The Blackhawks are advancing to the next round. I mean, when you look at it, when you look at where the scoring came from and how it was spread out, you had two goals from Highmore, you had goals from Olimata, I think Murphy had a goal at one point. It it wasn't all just coming off of our top two lines. Uh, that was the exciting thing to me. It reminds me, the things that made us so good in our cup years was the fact that you could put your fourth line out against top pairing you know top teams and you could say okay we're gonna throw our fourth line out there they're gonna shut them down maybe they chip in with scoring but it frees our other lines up and sure enough listen if matthew highmore can chip in a goal every once in a while and Oli mata can get one through that's just the icing on the cake you didn't expect it from them but that's where that supplemental scoring rounds out like one thing for me is it just seemed like the Blackhawks' defense was more involved in the play. Like, they weren't afraid to just clap, like, shots from the blue line. They were willing to at least try to throw wristers on net to create chaos. And they just seemed to be back-checking better than the Oilers were. I mean, yes, there were a couple of just terrible plays, but for the most part, Chicago's defense, in my opinion, just looked like overall they were engaging more with the play. And to specific, uh, specify on a specific defender who came out of nowhere, who I thought had a big series was Slater Cuckoo, a yeah. guy that I did not want to see on the ice during the regular season at all. And he came out and just impressed, I'm sure, almost everybody. i seen a few tweets a couple nights ago that they wanted to see more Slater Cuckoo on the ice, which is, like, like I said, nobody would have been saying that a couple months ago. But he came out, I think he had two goals, and uh, he looked like the first-round pick he was in 2012. So a big series out of Slater Cuckoo. Ole Mata had a couple good games, a couple questionable plays, but, I mean, he played well. I mean, all around, the Blackhawks' defense actually did their job, which is the biggest concern. Corey Crawford was damn right amazing, and, I mean, just wow. I mean, we we expected the highest-scoring offense. We got that. But the Blackhawks' defense came to play. Yeah, Crow stood on his head. I mean, long story short, as tight as our defense played, and I do 100% agree with you that I thought our defense looked a lot better than I would have guessed comparing it to the regular season. 
Although I will say, like you mentioned Cuckoo, him and Mata by the end of the regular season were forming out to be a really stable, consistent third pairing. And I think that they carried that over into the playoffs where they work really well together. And I think that gives them confidence. Uh, you also saw Boquist getting more involved in the offense, getting more involved in plays. He had a slick move in tonight's game on the power play where he just cut up the middle with the puck and he just sort of dangled a little bit, shot through. Really smooth play. I was impressed with him getting some playoff time and some playoff ice. Uh, but yeah, to me, Crow, we don't win this series without Crow. We got outshot tonight 43-28. to 28. <laughs> Uh, and Crow made 41 saves. That's, that's outrageous. He, he came up big for us. And shout out to Koskinen. It was a different Oilers team with Koskinen in, in the net. Uh, oh, I'm going to run Mike, Mike Smith out easily. Absolutely. Koskinen, you know, he, after that rough game won by Mike Smith, Koskinen came out and made it a series and battled his ass off. But I mean, Crawford like we like I everybody thought he was going to be the difference maker in the series and he, he it sure turned out to be the case because if there's no Corey Crawford in the series uh, we're looking at a different outcome but Crawford just uh you know known beater of the coronavirus and the beater of the Edmonton Oilers yeah he beats the coronavirus <laughs> comes out and beats Edmonton that's ridiculous <laughs> I do want to say one last thing with on my part with the Hawks. I, I think that the X factor for me for this, like we knew Kubalik was going to come out strong. We knew, you know, after being a Calder finalist, um, Kirby Doc came back from that pause, bulked up with an air of confidence about him, and he <clears throat> took this playoff rap, playing round by storm. I think last game he led the forwards in ice time. He's playing yep. power play minutes. He's playing penalty kill minutes. He's moved up. He's basically the second line center now with uh, Kanan Dabrinkit. I am blown away by the growth and the jump that he has taken from the regular season through the pause to this point. And just uh, one more time, Pony, off of what Tim just said. Like, yeah, exactly what. Kirby Doc has just come out and he looks like a whole different human, a whole different player during this, uh, during that play in series. The one thing I do want to see out of him more, and it's going to develop his game immensely is once he becomes a little more selfish with the puck and starts to become a shoot first, more mentality rather than passing kid is going to be deadly. I mean, at Patrick Kane, he was the same way his rookie year. I mean, I know it's hard to compare Kirby Doc to Patrick right. Kane, but just give it time. Kirby Doc has passed passed up on a couple open shots in the series. Wait until his mentality clicks and says, "Oh, I could shoot this puck," and uh, we're gonna see even more production out of him. Even though he he had a great series, I don't want to knock on him too much. But you're right. one, yeah. once he starts shooting that puck, my God, you're gonna see some numbers from this kid. What'd you say was your guys' standout, and who is your like disappointment for this series? Because I got some controversial opinions. Hot takes from Jordan. You want to you want to take this first, Nick, and then I'll go. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll I'll do that. You know, you said his name earlier. You don't expect much out of the fourth line, but I'm going to go with Matthew Highmore. He had a key, a couple huge uh, redirections, and they were big goals. One to take the lead in this game, and then one uh, to tie it up in last game in game three. 
So I'm going to go Matthew Highmore. He played a very good role in uh, with forechecking as well. The fourth line looked pretty solid. Uh, like I said, two big goals and someone that you really don't expect production out of, but you, you got two big goals out of him. That's more than you could ask for out of a fourth line guy. And who's uh, are we doing all the the surprises first and then disappointments, or are we doing surprise and disappointment? Surprises first. All right, sounds good. I think my surprise, you know, I already talked about him, Doc. Just the fact that. Every time he's on the ice throughout this series, you're hearing Doc at the net. You're hearing, what a hit by Doc, or, oh, what a ripper by Doc. As a nine-year-old kid with, or nine-nine-year-old. <laughs> Hold on. He's a phenom, not a big deal. Uh, as a 19-year-old rookie, uh, with no playoff experience, he's coming in, he's surrounded by guys like Taze and Kane. The fact that he made himself such a presence and he was up against a lot of times McDavid or Dreisaitl. He was matching up with, listen, they're some of the best players in the world. And he not only held his own, but he was a presence and an impact every time he was on the ice. That's the kind of person that extends the window of Kane, Taze and Keith and Crawford. Surprise, David. What was that? Who would you say is your surprise? I wasn't able to catch a lot of the games, but like uh, Tim said, 19-year-old Kirby Doc stood out to me as someone that was really gelling and kind of figuring it out. And like Nick was saying, once he figures out he can start shooting, it's he's going to be aces. I don't know if you could really say it's a surprise, I guess. Um, I guess you could kind of say it was more of a surprise to see, but I really liked what I saw out of Duncan Keith. He wasn't an off- like an offensive dynamo by any means, but... He just, his skating seemed to be back to like that 2015 form where, you know, he won the con Smythe, his gap controls are better, he seemed to be playing harder on the boards for pucks, like, I just was overall impressed with his game more than I've been recently, especially considering how old he is and how much he logs for ice time. You know, really, yeah, yeah I, I really like your point there, Jordan. Uh, Spit and Chicklets just had him on their podcast recently, and he was mentioning how like the reason why he's playing better as of late, it was before the Hawks entered the bubble, was because they're playing him more. I mean, ever since they got rid of Gustafson, Keith, you know, it's kind of weird that Gustafson started cutting into Keith's minutes, but Gustafson was that number one power play D man, and that took away from Duncan Keith's time on the ice. And now you're seeing vintage Duncan Keith because he's out there more. I think the more the guy plays. He the better he produces, and you know you're starting. To, you've seen that that series. Definitely, I also think that the <laughs> the youth movement has revitalized him. I mean, because he's partnered with Boquist. You've got 19 year old Boquist, and you've got 37 year old Duncan Keith, and I, I feel like the, the he's said the way that they communicate and the way that he's established his role and like accepts his role as like the mentor and the old guy. But he's not going to let these kids pass him by. He's going to show them a thing or two. And I think that being partnered with this, you know, rookie kid has upped his game, has upped his awareness, has upped his responsibility. He's he's a force on the ice again, and it is so good to see. And I, I think that that's part of what's, you know, feeding and encouraging him. Let's mm-hmm. go to disappointments now. Uh... Who's your guys' disappointments? 
I'll go with uh, Andreas Antetokounmpo. You know, uh, well, he was kind of ponied up quite a bit to go get him at the deadline. What was it, a second or third round pick? It was a while ago. I'm sorry, I can't remember. I want to say it was a, uh, a second rounder. Okay. But yeah, so to see, you know, he's one of those guys. He fit in perfectly with the Oilers with his speed, and he was very skilled. I know he was struggling in Detroit earlier this season. And, you know, everybody thought the move to Edmonton would have maybe made him produce more and just with the the way you'd mesh with their lines and their speed and their skill. And I don't think it transitioned that much. I, I was very, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm happy that, it went the way it did, but for what the Oilers gave up for Anthony Sioux, I don't think the production they got out of him for this series was even close to what they gave up. Yeah, no, that's – I would have liked to see more finish with Anthony Sioux. You're right. His speed was there. He has all the talent in the world. I I would have expected a little bit more. For disappointments, I could go – with if I was to go with an Oiler, I'd go with Yamamoto. I for all his scoring ability and all his flash and skills that I've seen, because I really like him. He just didn't he didn't show up. Uh, but I am gonna go with the Hawk. I'm most disappointed in, and this kills me. Because oh, you're saying I my, know where you're going. He's one of my absolute favorites. I am you know as a little guy myself. You know I'm short. To brink it, to brink it hurts. He didn't have any. You know, I was hoping that he'd come out in this series and like at least get a goal. He's that's his thing. He's a goal scorer, and that's what makes him so dangerous. And I'm just not seeing the. He had some assists, but I didn't see a lot of finish. And you could see him getting noticeably frustrated. You know, he took a double minor the last game, you know, the roughing and the slash. And this game, he takes such a reckless boarding penalty, gets a five-minute major. Like, come on. Like, I like the little bit of edge that is his, like that he has in his game, and I like the fact that he doesn't back down. But there's a difference between playing with an edge and playing sloppy and frustrated. He was letting his, he was letting his aggression and his emotions get to him. Uh, and I get it, but at the same time, you can't let that. You can't give the number one power play in the league a five-minute major, even though we did kill it off, thank God. Uh, but you can't do that. That that was irresponsible to me, and I just really, really hope that he comes back and rebounds fantastically in the next series. Yeah, I think his frustration is getting to him. You know, this is his first time playing in the playoffs ever, ever since the Hawks drafted him. And it, it's clear that it, like the lack of goal scoring, because that's what he excels at, is what is bothering him. Because, I mean, like you said, Tim, two very bad penalties. Or I guess three, because one was a, basically two penalties, a roughing and a slashing. And, uh, yeah, you, you want to see more out of Debrinket. You want to see that pure sniper that we drafted and that we've seen all throughout the regular season the last couple of years now. So yeah, I'm hoping for a rebound next series too, and I, I know damn well he is. For me, I gotta go... Go ahead and go, David. For me, I gotta go with um, who Nick said, Double A. Um, 
I loved watching him as a Red Wing. The kid has an immense amount of talent and speed, but it's a big-time mental game for him. And if he's not mentally present, he struggles. Um, and you saw it in this series, too. Like He did really nothing at all. And he's capable of so much more. And, you know, yes, he's not a Red Wing anymore, but I tend to still kind of root for people that wore the winged wheel, like Tatar, like um, Nyquist, all those guys. I want them to succeed and do well. And, I mean, he's on a very talented team. So I still have hopes that he can turn it around and play like he used to. That's the thing, right? Like, the thing about Athanasiu is, like, he uses his speed, much like McDavid, to generate offense. And Mm -hmm. for a guy who does not play a fantastic two-way game, you could have absolutely thrown him on McDavid's wing and had McDavid basically treat him as, like, a slot shotter where he parks it at the slot, similar to, like, a guy like Ovechkin, and just feeds it in, or a guy who you try to play essentially as, like, a breakout player on your power play. But he just, like you said, didn't do anything. I think I saw one good look from him all series, and that was it. Like, he was basically mm-hmm. invisible. Yep. And for what they gave up for him, um, he needs to be playing better. But like I said earlier, with him, it seems to be a real mental game with him, where if he's missing shots and not performing well, he just shuts down. And that's like a, it's a wall that he has to be able to get past if he wants to succeed. My biggest disappointment from the series from the series is probably Zach Cassian from Edmonton. Like Zach Cassian is a guy who loves to hit people, loves to play a big physical game, and I thought going into this, you know, Chicago's not a huge bruiser team by any means, and like this is the perfect matchup for him, right? Like he can absolutely just bash guys into the boards, take pucks over that way, and that was non existent from him this series. He didn't play any sort of like a big-bodied game to shut players down on the boards. In fact, I think in Game 1, the Hawks literally played a style that he should have thrived on, and he didn't. They froze it at the boards just like a guy like him benefits from, and nothing happened. Yeah, I I was definitely expecting having to deal with Cassian coming into this. Especially, especially going into this game, I was really, really nervous because they're playing with desperation. All of a sudden, I'm expecting, you know, I've got memories of the old, you know, the Duck series that we had to deal with back in the Cup years. And I'm like, someone's just going to take a run at us. They're just going to try and beat us into oblivion, like, you know, like Ketzler and Perry and Getzlaff did. And he didn't. He was pretty quiet, uh, which is not what he's known for. And not that I'm complaining. uh, I'm thrilled that he was. But... Yeah, if you're an Oilers fan, I I would be pretty frustrated with Cassian with that one. Overall, though, I think that the Hawks played a pretty good series. I mean, yes, I think the power play could have been absolutely much better game three for sure. I mean, what were they, like one for ten or something like that at one point with their power play That's opportunities? Insane. Yeah, I think between two and, two, two and three, they were one off ten. But, uh, you know. <laughs> it did the job game one after game one power play. I'm like, oh boy, did the Hawks figure it out? But and... uh, you know, it still didn't. But I mean, hey, it got the job done. It's the classic Hawks where all of a sudden their power play takes off for a game, and it's like, 
We had like two power play goals. This is remarkable. We've done it now. We've solved the riddle. And then the the box closes again, and you're like, well, okay. I I guess we didn't. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we got the job done. Uh, every single, maybe it was just me, but I felt like every single second period of this series was absolutely bonkers. That's when, oh, it was. like, penalties aplenty for both teams. You know, some a couple of little scrap things, you know, getting chippy. The first period is, you know, finding your legs for both teams. The third period's intense playoff hockey. Second period was a gong show every every episode, every uh, every game. And I don't know, like, that's kind of fun, but also terribly nerve-wracking. Uh, yeah, it, it was absolutely just, like you said, Tim, it was a gong show. I mean, the second periods were just banana lands from start to finish. It, it did not follow the rest of the game the way the first or third period went. The second period was like a game of itself each series or each game. And, uh, but hey, you know, here we are. We're, we they made it through. I thought the refs kind of played it very light this series. I thought a lot of penalties were called for playoff type atmosphere. But, I mean, you know, the Hawks did their job killing the penalties tonight. They uh, converted in game one on their power play, but yeah. I mean, tonight was a big night shutting down Edmonton's power play. Six out of six on the penalty kill for the Blackhawks is just something you don't expect going against this Edmonton Oilers offensive dominance. Killing that five-minute major, even with the fact that it was four-on-four for a bit. Our penalty kill (laughs) earned its pay. I'm, I'm beyond thrilled with our special teams simply going off of penalty kill. I agree with you there. Let's go ahead and take it outside of the Hawks and Oilers matchup because I think there are a couple other pretty big surprises outside of this matchup. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of surprises and some that were only surprises to me apparently from what I'm looking at people uh, the under and over. So yeah, let's get into those games. So the first being this, the Arizona Coyotes have officially beat the Nashville Predators three to one at this point. So, what the heck? Like, Arizona's not great by any means, but they're not, I don't think, strong at any particular position like Nashville seems to be at defense. And Nashville, I thought, would have ran right over Arizona. Like, what the heck? Uh, Darcy Kemper is just a stud out of nowhere. I mean, I wouldn't say out of nowhere. I mean, he's been a stud all season. Yeah, I mean, I know that, but, like, Darcy Kemper before coming to Arizona, he was good last year, too. So, I, yeah, I guess I shouldn't say out of nowhere. But Darcy Kemper, before he his career started in Arizona, he, like, he wasn't anyone to really keep an eye on. Like, he was a, probably, I would say, a below-average goaltender. And I mean, against Nashville, he looked phenomenal. He kept Arizona in every single game. And... You know, the Taylor Hall curse is broken, too. I mean, I don't even know if it was a curse, but, you know, Arizona was, they looked like they were on the brink of maybe being a top-five pick before the season ended, and then the way the playoffs transitioned to making the playoffs, and now here we are. Arizona's advancing over Nashville, who, yeah, like you said, Jordan, I thought Nashville was going to steamroll them. I mean, if you look at their center depth, I, I mean, granted, they don't, you know, Arizona doesn't have, like the quote unquote 
all-star players, but it's another one of those teams like Carolina that's got just a good just a good roster of players. You know, down the middle you've got Christian Dvorak or however you pronounce his name, uh, who is now their top line center. I did not expect that, and it's working great. I mean, you've got Schmaltz and uh, Derek Stepan down the middle for them. Uh, that's a killer three centers for them down the middle. Um, you know, Clayton Keller is, you know, Clayton Keller, Taylor Hall, Phil Kessel, Phil the Thrill. That's a, and uh, Vinny Hinestroza. Man's earning those hot dogs. Oh, you know <laughs> it. He's going to fill the, he fills the cup with hot dogs when he gets it. And I love that man for it. And he has uh, the one chair for his sister to sit in. <laughs> incredible. But you've got, you know, a solid defense of Ekman Larson, Jalmerson, Goligoski, uh, and then a phenomenal goalie between Darcy Kemper and, you know, Antiranta. You, they've just got a good team. And I think that Nashville, which, you know, they've got, you know, they've got Duchesne now. They've got, you know, Ryan Johansson. Uh, they've got a phenomenal defense. I just think that depth-wise and as an all-around team, Arizona was more well-rounded for this series, and I'm glad they're finally starting to clip together. Look at, you know, the Predators roster and, like, the score sheet and all that, right? And, like, you see the typical names, you know, Forsberg, Yossi, Duchesne, Alice Johansson. Like, their star guys are actually producing, but... I don't know if it's just like goaltending has been just abysmal for them because I mean Juicy Sarah has has not been good for that series at all. I mean, I thought that he's looked pretty good. I mean, between him and Rene, I wouldn't necessarily say. And again, I haven't watched all the games, but from what I've seen and from different clips, they haven't looked bad. It just it it just looked like. Arizona was controlling a lot of possession, controlling time in the zone. And as the, you know, it's a cliche, but the more that they get pucks to the net and the more that Nashville lets them, it's only a matter of time that something goes in. I'm looking at the Coyotes roster right here. And I mean, like you mentioned, you've got the guys like Taylor Hall, you've got Ekman Larson, you got Kessel, you have, you know, somebody like Jacob Chikrin. But. To me, this is just so interesting because, like, Nashville, you look at their group and you say, or you, I would assume most of us would say, this looks like a playoff team, right? Like, you have some decent forwards. You have great blue line. And then your goaltending is still pretty serviceable. I mean, that is a team that you would expect to be in a playoff position pretty pretty easily. It's not going to be, like, a first-seeded team by any means, but... It's a team that you look at and you say, yeah, they're probably a playoff team. Like, this is just, that one is just such a head scratcher to me. I feel like, did I pick Arizona? I know I did. I think we all did, actually. Yeah. I thought I was being controversial. And then. It's the Kessel effect. I mean, I get it. Feel the thrill. You know? That's... Like, we all did pick Arizona, but <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, in the back of my mind, I thought it was a long shot pick. <clears throat> I the Nash Nashville historically doesn't follow through. 
I mean, I think their best shot was in 2017. When, was that when they uh, steamrolled us? I I think that's the right. first round. Yeah, they they shut us out in the first round. I think that was their best chance, frankly. I I think that that was their shot, and they I don't I don't think they have what it takes to get through. Let's look at another series, which I think basically is I think the biggest upset so far. The Montreal Canadiens beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, and yeah. where was Sidney Crosby? Where was Sidney Crosby? Because he didn't look terrible, but he, in my opinion, just looked invisible. I think he's the only guy on the team that really showed up. I think a lot of the other players didn't really have their heart into it this year. But looking at Crosby with the stuff I saw, yes, he was invisible at times, but I feel like he was the only guy that was really putting in an effort. Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely get behind that. I again. I think we all picked Pittsburgh to win this because, of course, we would. Um, but my God, Carey Price did. Carey Price did his job. Carey Price did exactly what Pittsburgh was afraid of with this playoff format. Because yeah. He said, hey, he can take over and control a best of three series. Uh, and like. Mm-hmm. You've got Philippe Deneau, who has such a defensive skill set as a forward. Uh, Shea Weber is still, in my mind, one of the most dangerous defensemen in the league. Uh, Nick Suzuki, I thought, really looked good throughout this series. Uh, he's someone that I feel like a lot of people have been sleeping on uh, outside of Montreal, which knows that he's good. But I-, I thought that he had a really nice showing. I thought the biggest standout of the, for Montreal was Jeff Petrie. You know, yeah, every, everybody everybody talks about Shea Weber, but they got two stud D men over there, and Jeff Petrie is uh, he, he's really becoming one of his own. I mean, he has offensive firepower. He's got he's a really good D man in his own zone, and I I was very impressed with this game. I thought he was a difference maker out there, and one of the biggest reasons why you see Pittsburgh going home. No, you're a hundred percent right. Uh... Petrie was Petrie was a difference maker. He rounded out their defense and gave them the punch that they needed. Uh, I mean, the NHL playoffs are just better with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not a I, I'm not a Canadian supporter at all, but I mean, just with that minute, it's just a it's the hockey's just better with the Canadians involved. Except they just blew their chances at their hometown kid Lafreniere. Exactly. I mean. That's that's a little heartbreaking because now... All right, back to Tankathon to see if it's changed. Yeah, exactly. One thing I'm noticing, I'm looking at these box scores really quick. Yeah, Mer- Their goaltending, Ooh. Pittsburgh's goaltending really... It's changed. Off. Really, has it? Minnesota is now at the number one spot. You know, that's the least threatening team in my mind that could get him, so... I'd laugh my ass off if fucking Minnesota got them. I have a friend who's a fucking wild fan. But yeah, I mean... I kind of like about Montreal is I like the fact that they have a younger group. Like, they've got some people like, you know, Kotkaniemi, for example, who are somewhat new to the league, and they're actually letting them get meaningful minutes in the playoffs. (laughs) That, I think, was something that I liked. Yeah, definitely. I think that we're seeing that with a lot of these, uh, with a lot of the games between the Hawks and Montreal. Uh, 
letting the young guys get these meaningful minutes, you know, especially on teams that didn't really think they were going to be here. I mean, it's sort of a, what do you have to lose? Let exactly. Your play. They didn't deserve to, I mean, I, I can't say they don't deserve it now, but they didn't deserve to be there in the, during the regular season. But like you said, Tim, what do you got to lose? Just let them play, let them, let them develop on their own. And they, they flourished. The next series I want to talk about is the Islanders and the Panthers one. Uh, the Islanders take the series 3-1. Um, obviously, I think everyone agreed this was basically going to be like a toss-up series because, I mean, neither one I thought was really overly strong. I leaned more towards New York. I was like, it's Florida. I, they have a hockey team in Florida. I think I was the only one that bet on Florida. Yes. And, well, here Jordan, I Jordan, you were a toss-up between the two. I was 100% New York. Wavered a little bit with Quinville. I was like, oh, they have Quinville? Yeah, New York still wins. Yeah, nah, you're right. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. Not as bad as with the Rangers, but I drank the Kool-Aid with Florida. Uh, had, the <gasps> Islanders just play a suffocating game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Trotz, has really turned, Trotz has really stepped in and taken over and created a team that, in my opinion, is now stronger without Tabarez. Yeah. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, and it's weird to say because, I mean, it's Tavares. But, my God, I'm looking at, again, pulling up the box scores. The most, most of these games, game one was 2-1 to one, you know, with New York winning. Game two was 4-2 to two with, you know, New York winning. The only blowout game was the final game with... New York being 5-1, the Panthers never scored more than three goals in a game. That's phenomenal for the defensive structure of Barry Trotz's Islanders. Yeah, that's what Trotz is known for, too. I mean, when he was in Washington, that's that was a big key to their success was their de- let alone not, a, not just that they had a high-powered offense, but their defense was just shut down material. And, you know, that's what Trotz has been doing with the Islanders, too. Because, I mean, don't get me his, – his roster is – if you look at their roster, it's not the most impressive team. No. Like, it, it's just how well coached they are by Barry Trotz and how much he implicates the defense and utilizes them and realizes that's their biggest asset to the team. And, uh, you know, they're the, the Islanders go ahead and suffocate another team just by playing shutdown defense. and. Like you said, Florida's a high-powered offense, and you know they they got exposed too. Because if you can't score on the defense, you're not going to win the game. Like I'm looking at New York's roster right now, and I mean they've got guys, you know, like Brock Nelson. They've got guys like Barzal. They've got people like you know, like Josh Bailey. They're not a bad roster, right? Like Pajo, it's not a terrible roster, but. <clears throat> Again, it's not star studded. It's just really coached well. Getting getting Peugeot and giving him time to mesh with the team, I think, was a really really sound move. Giving them a little bit more forward depth down the mid, especially down the middle at center. Uh, it took a little bit off of Barzell's plate and sp- was allowed them to spread things out a little bit more. It's amazing what adding one guy to your roster that can take it you know just spread it out a little bit more can do for a team like that and i, I mean i guess some news within this series i don't know if we're, this is really going off structure but since we're kind of in like the whole league news 
is Florida announced uh, after tonight's today's games that they're moving on from general manager Dale Talon. And yeah, uh, yeah so uh, that's some big news. Uh, Dale Talon, I thought, has done a pretty good job over in Florida, developing them into this team that actually has a pretty, I mean, they're pretty solid core. Young core, very high-powered offense again. Uh, and he brought Joel Quinville over there, and uh, they announced tonight that they're moving on from Dale Talon. Well, I mean, keep in mind, during the <laughs> Vegas expansion draft, isn't Dale Talon the same one that gave them Marsha Salt to, cha- to take Riley Smith? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that is the like, case there. He, and also, building the team like he had, no, no, nothing against Dale Talon, but this team also hasn't done anything. In You're right about that. Been there. Uh, if I'm if I'm a Florida fan, I'm looking at this saying, "Well, okay, cool. Like Barkov's really good, and like there's a couple of really good players on this team. Ekblad was a no-brainer to pick up. But at the same time, what do we got to show for it? Like Bowman makes bad moves sometimes, but we've got cups and sustainable like structure and we can see his mindset with what he does even when it's a bonehead trade we can see his mindset with dale talon sometimes i feel like he plays 4d chess and he outthinks himself do you so would you guys necessarily put the blame on him for bobrowski not working out this season i i don't know i mean i feel like it was a no-brainer though a team like florida needed a star goalie and I, I I don't know if it's really his fault. You got to go. But didn't cause... they just didn't they just draft uh, Knight right before they signed Bobrovsky? Uh, um, I think yeah. they might have. Yeah, but uh, like that takes a couple. It takes a while. I know he's a couple years away, but I don't know. I feel like the giving Carey Price ten point five a year showed how dangerous it is to pay that much and lock up that much cap space in a goalie because goalies are so hot and cold. Like it, you can get, look at Kemper and Ranta or look at the way, you know, Shesterkin and Georgiev are for the Rangers. It, I, I think they overpaid for Bobrovsky. I get that he's a star goaltender but he's also a bit of like, and again, all goalies are head cases. But just with you know some of his comments about moving on from what's it called, Columbus. I don't know. It's not it's not his fault. It's not Talon's fault that Bobrovsky had a down year. But I think that it was a little reckless, and he could have had pressure from people up top. But that's a lot of money to throw at a goalie and I'm again who am I <laughs> not a GM but that's a lot of money I imagine my thought process behind the Bobrovsky move is <laughs> they didn't have a defined starter right they didn't have somebody who in their system they looked at and said in two years this guy's the starter he's going to be playing you know 60 games for us and when they looked to free agency they didn't have somebody who they thought they could get long-term for that deal. And Columbus happened to be a cap crunched, so Bobrovsky has to go. You have the chance to pick up what at the time was a star goaltender for... I mean, yes, he's not cheap, but he, he's also not $11 million. But man, 
I feel like when you look at that team, they didn't really have any options. I that's fair. That's fair. Maybe I might be being a little hard on him for that one. But I will say the Mike Matheson contract does look really bad now, and I'm not speaking out of turn for that one. He's in year two of eight, uh, with his cap hit of four point five or four almost five million, and he got benched. That's rough. Not to interrupt the conversation, boys, but uh. Breaking news, the Toronto Maple Leafs have tied it and sent it to overtime. No way. Come so, on. That's okay. Elimination holds off. Pierre-Luc Dubois was able to kill it in overtime last time. Let's see uh, Let's see what he can do. Shout out Elvis Merzlikens with an assist on the first goal of the game, by the way. Well, like, Did anybody watch the game that they played uh what was it? Was it last night? Yeah, last night. Was that the one with the scary hit uh, with Muzzin, or was that game two? Um, I want to say it was game two. Okay. But, man, watching them blow a three-goal lead, ooh, yeah. that was rough. And the thing was, they had that three-goal lead early in the game. Like, it wasn't like they had built it up over the game. I mean, they established that lead early. Like, who do you guys think is going to win this series? I'm I, I'm putting it all on Columbus, baby. I'm all for it. Give me those ragtag kids run by Tortorella. I think if Toronto wins tonight, they're going to take the series. <clears throat> David? He flipped a coin. Heads for <laughs> Toronto. Once again, it's... I. Uh, well, what about you? What about you, Jordan? Nothing would make me happier than watching the Blue Jackets beat the Leafs. And it's not because I hate the Leafs. It's have it, have any of you guys ever gone on the hockey subreddit or the Leafs subreddit? Oh yeah. Oh, it's it's like, bad. The, the salt will be so real. It will be so real. And like mm-hmm. the worst part is it's like they're in Capel and they don't even have the success to show for it. Like so heartbreaking. That's I truly believe that they're going to have to blow up the team before they get a cup. Like everybody on Toronto is inked to like these six or seven year deals with huge cap hits. Like they, they haven't even made like a conference final within the last ten years, have they? To be fair, Boston has done a really good job of stopping them. Okay, fair enough. But still, even Boston's not in this terrible of cap hell. Like, oh, that's the, the, Boston has done some sort of blood magic to keep their cap. I mean, Pasternak. Taking the contract that he did is offensive. Like, he could have easily asked for $2 million more. Easily. Yeah. Well, I can stop dunking on Dale Talon in Florida. Uh, I, I'm comfortable with moving on from that, and I'm definitely comfortable with betting the farm on Columbus. You know, Dubois, I thought he has actually looked really good this series what? for them. Like, he had the hat trick last night. And just overall, I thought that his offensive game has looked really good. I think it has. After he got his ass chewed out by Tortorella in game two, too. <laughs> I I think you need that sometimes. They had a little bit of an FU match on the bench, and that, I think sometimes that fires you up a little bit, and it's like, okay, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to go out there and show you. 
and Tortorella says, good, <laughs> do it. Uh, yeah, I, I just really like, you take Columbus, where Panarin leaves, Bobrovsky leaves, the Zingle leaves, Duchesne leaves, and they all say, see ya, and you go, uh, okay, I guess we're the scraps now. And the scraps are doing it. I I, I got to root for the scraps. That's it. Like It's not even just like the scraps are doing it. They're doing it against like a high po- firepower team like Toronto. Yeah, uh, that it should not be as matched as it is. Like Toronto should have absolutely run over Columbus this series, just like Tampa should have last year. They've got a resilience to them, and that resilience wins cups. Um, let's see. Uh, the next series we have to talk about the uh, the Flames and the Jets. So the Flames take it three one over the Jets. Um, obvious names for the Flames putting on the points: uh, Monahan, Bennett, um, Hannafin, and Gustafson putting up points. Kachuk. Talbot didn't really look that bad in net either, which I thought was actually pretty impressive considering when he played for Edmonton, he didn't really have great numbers. Yeah, no, uh, I thought he held his own pretty decently actually this was a this was a very well balanced series i thought like i you know obviously calgary was able to take it home i had bet on the jets uh (laughs) keeping up with my streak for the most part but i i think the noticeable thing was paul maurice coming out talking about to chuck you know claiming that he deliberately you know Sliced the God who went down. Uh, Schleifle. Schleifle, yeah, they're one of their best players. Uh, I think that's a tricky move. Did you guys see that press conference at all? Yeah, he made it seem like it was a no doubt thing that Kachuk went out there and deliberately tried to injure Mark Schleifle. And I mean, you can't go make accusations like that. You you could slow it down, and yeah, maybe it looks like that's the case, but in real speed. I watched the replay a couple of times. It, it's just a hockey play, and, you know, you can't do anything about it. I mean, I Kachuk, yeah, he does play with an edge, and he could be a little dirty sometimes. But he even after the incident happened, he went over to Shifley and, like, wished him well and before he left the ice and apologized. And it, it looked like it really actually affected him. So the fact that Paul Maurice came out making accusations like that towards Matthew Kachuk is it, kind of ridiculous, but once, I mean, there was no line A in Shifley for three of the games this series. I I knew it was Flames all over yeah. that. It it got lopsided after that, and I I think somebody somebody pointed out. I think it was someone on it on to Chuck's team that was like, he's not a good enough skater to deliberately wield his foot and his skate to do that. Like you you're giving him way too much credit on that kind of move. It's just a, like you said, it was a fluky play. Uh, it's one of those things that happens in hockey, but yeah, no, I thought the flames held their own. It'll be interesting to see what they do moving on, but that was an evenly matched game. Serious David, like who did you think was probably the favorite? If you were going to say between Toronto and Columbus, Oh, no, the uh, the Jets and the Flames. Oh, Jets and Flames. Um, I think I picked Jets just because of Winnipeg, but the Flames have been killing them. So um, I was wrong. I don't know why I picked the Jets. I just thought they looked cooler. 
Um, but yeah, I think the Flames have just looked on fire, <laughs> pun intended. Right now, which the game comes on later tonight, the Canucks and the Wild series. So currently the Canucks are up 2-1 in the series. I was surprised the Wild actually haven't looked as terrible as I thought they would. Like, I mean, the one game, yes, they they lost 3 nothing, but the other one, they lost 3-4, and then I'm trying to remember what the score was before that. They they won 3-0, right? Because game one was a 3-0 win, then they had a 3-4 loss, and they had a 0-3 loss. So you're putting thoughts in my head. That does definitely sound... I had scores pulled up a second ago, let me say. Um, Regardless, I don't think any of us really picked Minnesota yeah, to win this, especially with how good that Vancouver set up. Yeah, Canucks won Thursday three nothing. That was Thursday. And then, oop, stupid ads on Yahoo. It was three zero Minnesota. Four uh, three Canucks on Tuesday. And then three zero Can- uh, Vancouver on the sixth. And then Sunday. Second wild three nothing. So yeah, you've had two three nothing games and then one close game. So that's way more balanced than I think any of us thought it was gonna be. Yeah, you have your two blowouts and then your one close. We all picked Vancouver going into the series, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, do you guys think that there's a chance that Minnesota can possibly pull a win out, or I mean, do you think they... that they're gonna just continue to crumble? Because they came out that. pretty decent, but then they just sort of slowed down. If they win tonight, yes, I think it's going to be close. But after losing the last losing two games in a row, it's going to be hard to come back from that, momentum-wise. Anything's possible. I mean, that's playoff hockey, right? Uh, True. Couple of bo- couple of weird bounces, a you know, a weird fall from a guy. All of a sudden, momentum changes really fast in this game. I didn't think there was a chance that the Canadians would beat Pittsburgh, and yet here we are. Uh, I think that... I think that Vancouver still definitely has the edge, um, but... And I don't have a lot of faith in the Wild. I've made that very, very clear. But they're they're holding their own, and I, I have to give them a little credit for that. So I, it's gonna, I'm excited to watch the game. Last series I want to talk about, and I think this one I kind of want to reflect a little bit on, is the Rangers and the Hurricanes series. So the Hurricanes sweep the Rangers. Now, for me, I felt so bad watching Lundquist as they lost. Like, you could just see the disappointment on his face. Yep. I I drank the Kool-Aid, and I drank the Kool-Aid very, very hard. It was spiked, bro. It I'm I was hammered. I was hammered with Rangers affection. Uh, I the Rangers are my East Coast team. I love Lundqvist. Uh, Zabinajad is phenomenal. Obviously, I have a you know I root for Panarin and Ryan Strom. Uh, they've got some young blue liners that I really like. Uh, like Fox, I, I think Fox is really good. Um. I wanted so bad for this fairy tale Hollywood story of the king Lundquist backstopping this team and you know if the Hawks can't make it let it be the Rangers and let Lundquist retire with a cup and it's this wonderful time 
and then you see him on the bench this forlorn it's heartbreaking it really is heartbreaking you know i do got to give credit to the rangers though uh i i'm glad that they went they stuck to their guns and went with Lundqvist just to give them one last yeah. run with the team. I think that, I mean, they could have easily gone Shesterkin or Georgiev. I think, well, Georgiev was injured, I believe, but. I think Shesterkin was injured and Georgiev was on the bench. Okay, uh, so that, I got to flip, I got to flip-flop then, but yep. yeah. um, Yeah, so, I mean, they could have easily went with one of them and, you know, they stuck, they wrote it out. They wrote it out with King Henrik. You know, a guy that's done so much for them in their right. career. And they were also in that mentality of what have we got to lose? Mm-hmm. They were the underdog coming in the series, even though they had Carolina's number actually all season. But, uh, you know, it, it, it went the way it did. and uh, But I'm, gl- I'm glad Henrik had basically one last go with the Rangers, basically a final send-off. Yeah, not, not the way to go, but hey. <clears throat> They gave him right. a shot. And credit where credit is due – Carolina played phenomenally, and Sebastian Ajo, I'm very excited at, you know, as Sheev Palpatine once said, I look forward to watching your career with great interest. Uh, Ajo is phenomenal, and I am so excited to see what he does in these playoffs. Remember all the jokes you were making, like, way, way, way long ago about Ajo going to Montreal? And then Montreal just bidding on everything they can see. Yeah, well, uh, I bet Montreal's regretting their low ball offer sheet because they should yeah. have uh, came in a lot higher. That's the thing. Like, Carolina has him locked up now, and he's not even like an outrageous contract. No, not at all. Like, he's pretty much, in my opinion, on the McKinnon deal. Probably about $3 million less than he should be, and he's locked up with term. Yeah, that's a dream if you're Carolina. Yeah, Montreal did them a favor. You gotta give it up to Carolina's goaltending also, though. I mean, their goaltenders were on point this series. And it wasn't like New York tried. Like, just, for example, I mean, Reimer put up, you know, a 9-7 save percentage against them. They had, like, 38 shots against. Like, goaltending for Carolina was great this series. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I can't think of anything bad to say about Carolina they just looked from forwards to defense to goaltending they are a formidable team I think the thing that hurts me the most is seeing Peter Mrazek successful on that team why would you have to bring that up <sighs> because we had to keep Jimmy Howard I don't think we had to keep Jimmy Howard I think we just dealt Mrazek because we knew we could get a good picks for him for the rebuild Yes and no, but Ken Holland was not embracing a rebuild at that time. He was still on the hype train. Was he? I thought we were rebuilding. No, we didn't get rid of Mrazic because I remember we picked up, uh, who was it? Um, Jared Carroll. Jared Carroll, because I remember he got to play at the outdoor game. But that was the same amount of time, though, when we traded away Tatar, wasn't it? But, I mean, it was still in that season where... the. Like, he was still trying to, like, feel out if the Wings were a playoff team or not. Uh, but, yeah, that one that one hurts for me. You should be excited that he spread his wings and he's flying now. He could have spread them with Detroit. Yeah. Uh, now I'm going to spread myself for Braden Holpe. If, he, if he's into that. I, 
I'm going to make him a nice spread of charcuterie with some, you know, different cheeses, some different meats. I don't eat olives, but if he wants olives, I'll go as well. I'm on my way to Detroit. <laughs> Here's a question, though. I mean, we're, we talked about Barbarowski just a second ago. I mean, it's obviously way, way too early to tell, but do you think that his contract is eventually going to look like a guy like Barbarowski's where it looks like he's kind of overpaid for what they're getting? Or do you think it might end up looking like one of those contracts of like, yeah, you paid a lot of money for him, but you're going to get stellar goaltending pretty much 45 out of the 60 games that he plays? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, it's like Holtby does have bad games from time to time. For mm-hmm. sure, but all goalies do. Even Vasilevsky gives up. I mean, Vasilevsky got swept in the playoffs last year. Uh, I think that Holtby... Holtby I don't think he signs for 10 mil somewhere. I, no. I, think, I think we see somebody sign him similar to like a flurry style contract, maybe 7.5, maybe I think at max he signs nine. Uh, but I think what you're paying for with Holby is like stellar goaltending. And you know that it's going to be hot and cold at times, but I think, I think he goes to a team that's got a decent backup. I'm pretty sure that covers all the series, unless I'm unless I'm missing one. Can anybody think of one that we didn't cover? Because I, I don't really feel like it's necessary to cover the round-robin games right now, because, I mean, yes, they matter, but they don't really matter. It's just, it's just them... to determine who gets top seed. Yeah, and it, it, And it, Philadelphia's it, been killing it. Philly's been great. Kevin Hayes They beat Boston, this, this then they beat Washington. Uh, they're going to be scary, but... I think the I think the main thing with the play the round robin is just to make sure that the teams that are officially in the playoffs aren't rusty by mm-hmm. the time that all these teams in like the play in rounds are like great we've had a series under our belts let's go and yeah. you've got these teams that are like I'm sorry we we haven't played oh we've no we've been sipping daiquiris yeah exactly I liked what I've seen out of the Avalanche they have looked good. Yeah, we talked about that. We said that, you know, losing those key players early, they were going to come back fresh. I'm very ex- I'm very excited and very scared to see who we play. Because we're either going to play, uh, the Hawks are either going to play Vegas or Colorado. And I I don't know, I, I don't know who I'd rather play. I don't want to face Leonard, not after we gave him away. I feel like he's the kind of person that will take his game to another level to, like, say, oh, here I am. Miss me? Uh, but Colorado, my God, there. I don't want to face McKinnon. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine you pick Vegas, because, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a dream killer, but I don't see Chicago beating beating Colorado. I just don't see it at all. That's that's okay, you know? You need the naysayers for when we get there and you get to say, I told you, you know? You know if, if Chicago beats Colorado in the playoffs, I will happily eat my words, but I'm just, I'm putting it out there. I don't see it happening. No, it's you're fair. It's fair. I think that I'd rather face Forward and defense-wise, I'd rather face uh, Vegas, but goalie-wise, I do think that Grubauer is a lot more manageable than Laner. But I don't want to. I don't want to deal with Kale McCarr. 
Yeah, forget <laughs> it. I'm going Vegas. I'll take my chances. I think Vegas would be a winnable one for you guys. I think it would be pretty hard, but I think it's actually manageable. I think, actually, I think we've only won against Vegas once in the entirety of Vegas as a team. We've won one game against them. But I think you guys season. can do it, though. Yeah, it's regular season. Playoffs are different. Everybody knows that. Um, but yeah, as far as I can tell, that's all of the actual series that are going on right now, and they've all been covered. Um, just, I mean, what are your guys' overall feelings about this playoff play-in format? Do you guys like it? Because I actually kind of like it like even though yes it shortens the regular season because of you know the situation we're in i actually kind of like this playing format where these teams who are wild cards are playing for these spots i mean sometimes you'll look at the standings and you can look at these teams that are wild card teams and they got like you know 10 games left on the schedule you can sort of pencil in that schedule and some teams absolutely have easier schedules than other teams do and this kind of eliminates that. I really like it. It's I, a cool format. I just, I don't know if it would be cool long term. Yeah, there's definitely, there would definitely be things they have to iron out. I think in the face of COVID and in a, in a means of salvaging the season, I think this was fantastic and a, a great idea. I think that it helps the league with revenue and I think that it gives the fans like playoff hockey and the kind of hockey that is going to satisfy us. Satisfying hockey was the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do once again, want to say I'm blown away by the safety precautions and the bubble structure and how the NHL has pulled this off so far. I I'm very impressed. It doesn't help that they didn't, you know, it doesn't help that they brought more attention to it by rigging the draft lottery to help it out even more, you know. Just saying. There's my guy. <laughs> At this point, the Edmonton Oilers and the uh, and the Pittsburgh Penguins literally have a 25% chance of grabbing Lafreniere. Like, ugh. why is it 25? 12.5 plus 12.5 is 25. Oh, uh, yeah, but there's still other teams that could ruin it for everybody. <laughs> Listen. I'm not sure if you know how it works, but it's rigged. All right. It's the story. Crosby either gets to play with a generational kid who played for the same team that he did, or McDavid a generational winger to play with him. That way, they just run everybody over, and Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins play the second line, and then Edmonton just fills the third and the fourth lines with whoever cares. I'm just excited for Malkin to go to Seattle. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! That I really do want to know what Seattle's gonna do. Like, I want to know: Are they gonna do the Vegas model where they just go for it now, or are they gonna try to essentially build something that's a long-term contender that takes them a minute to build? I think that you have three plans. Uh, you 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 have to have multiple plans because again. Vegas's plan was to build a long-term team and then their team did well and all of a sudden they had to change their plan because they either say, okay, we're going to ignore the fact that they're doing well and stick to the plan or, hey, wait a minute, we caught lightning in a bottle. Let's run with it. We 
we can run with it. And I think that you have to have a couple of plans in place. And I think more than anything, you got to be adaptable to what the season provides you. You know, you, you can't be so stuck to a plan that you ignore what's actually happening. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. Oh, definitely. I'm very excited. Uh, the expansion teams the last couple of years, you know, between Vegas and now with uh, Seattle, I I think that it's been a major boost to the league, not only for revenue, but also just for generating excitement again. Uh, Vegas has been a spectacle, and, you know, I'm very hyped for Seattle. Well, unfortunately, I don't think we have any fan mail for this week's episode. So I think it's pretty safe for us to call it an episode. Um, for everybody who's still with us, we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to the episode and to this podcast. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a fan cast that is by fans for fans. There's no corporate sponsorships. There's no deals that we have with anybody. This is literally a fan project for fans. And we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to us. Um, if you ever want to get in touch with us and send us fan mail, so like if you know, you want to hurl insults if you want to make fun of us somehow. If you have topics for the show, if you have questions you want us to answer, whatever it is, there's a couple ways you guys can do that. You can first get in touch with us via email. The email is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, no periods, no hyphens or anything like that. Just really straightforward. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, we're on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at stickbladepod. Um, again, all one word, no underscores or anything like that. Uh, we're now on Facebook and YouTube as well, so you can also find us on those avenues. So those are really the four main ways. And as always, the podcast is on SoundCloud. It's on iTunes. So two different ways for you to find it there as well. So just how, whatever your social media of choice is, there's a way for you to get in touch with us probably. So feel free to get in touch with the podcast. We always enjoy interacting with you guys and always have a good time interacting with you. So with all of that being said, though, for your host tonight, Jordan, and my co-hosts, David, Tim, and Nick, this has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. The Hawks are now officially in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which means, guess what? It's Hawks hockey again in the preseason. Let's get it going, and hopefully let's see some dubs.